doctors, they always want to do their job well, no doubt about that. So then they think along the line that, okay, if I really think from a very patient-centric point of way, I actually was able to reach the patients immediately because I have these teleconsultation tools. Hello, and welcome to the Medical Protection Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Katie Grant, Risk Prevention Medico-Legal Lead at Medical Protection. Today, I'm really pleased to be talking about our Hong Kong Medico-Legal and Ethics Conference. We'll be hosting this in June. The Spotlight on Risk Conference takes place on Sunday the 25th of June from 2 until 4.15pm Hong Kong time. Although it's primarily for Medical Protection members, the free online conference is available to any medical practitioner. So if you haven't already registered, do look in the podcast description for a link. I'm delighted today that Dr. Kenneth Seng, Chief Executive Officer of Glen Eagles Hospital Hong Kong, is joining us. He provides leadership for Glen Eagles Hospital Hong Kong, which is a state-of-the-art tertiary hospital under the IHH Healthcare. Dr. Seng leads strategic development initiatives to build the hospital clientele and reputation within Hong Kong and the region for sustainable and long-term success of the hospital. Prior to joining Glen Eagles, Dr. Sang was with the Hospital Authority in Hong Kong for over 25 years, first as a practicing physician in the Department of Medicine at the Queen Elizabeth Hospital. And then in 2009, he took up part-time administrative roles at the Kowloon Central Cluster. He later became a full-time medical administrator at the HA head office, taking up various management roles, including patient safety, strategy and service planning, infection control and cluster services. Dr. Sang is a fellow of the Hong Kong Academy of Medicine, Community Medicine, fellow of the Hong Kong College of Community Medicine, Administrative Medicine, and fellow of the Royal Australasian College of Medical Administrators. Wow, there's a lot there, Kenneth, and it's absolutely wonderful to have you with us today. Thank you, Katie. It's lovely to be here. Thank you. I just really wanted to start by asking a little bit about your your life, really, and your career, which sounds fascinating. And I see that after 25 years in the HA, you've changed your career, really. So can I ask you, what was your motivation for that? Thank you, Katie. I mean, there aren't many opportunities for me to explain how I shift from the clinical side of medicine to the administrative side. In fact, uh, lucky for me, everything happened actually progressively rather than abruptly. Mm -hmm. During my 25 years, I have been a practicing clinician. But then came SARS, actually. I mean, if we, yeah. I mean, we are very familiar with COVID, but the previous big pande- uh, epidemic that we saw at that time was the SARS. Yeah. And at that time, I was lucky enough that the hospital authority chose several people to study OSH and occupational medicine because a lot of the staff at that time got contracted SARS and unluckily su- suffered from the sequelae of, of, of SARS. Yeah. And at that time, when we were working on OSH, we thought we shouldn't be just looking at staff safety, but also patient safety. Mm-hmm. So I then kind of like moved into management where we look at patient safety in, in, at, a, at a very frontline clinical level. But then that got me very interested and I progressively worked, started my work in, in, in patient safety in the, in the hospital where I worked in and then gradually moved to the head office. So that kind of like how I gradually shifted to uh, more, I would say, public health approach to medicine rather than just the clinical patient aspects where I treat patients one by one. Yeah, great. Because again, I think the role of doctors and clinicians in these managerial and administrative positions is really important, isn't it? That's right. That's right. And 
It's actually very typical that doctors shift. Um, the first step that doctors go into medicine are actually in patient safety, yeah. which is kind of like the, the fact that you really need the clinical knowledge to step yeah. into this area. Yeah, absolutely. And um, moving on to a really big question, now that we've got you comfortable, it's really asking you what you think the biggest challenge that healthcare faces in Hong Kong today. And I appreciate that's a big question. But could you perhaps, you know, spell out for us what you think is, is one of the biggest or what are the biggest challenges at the moment? Okay. I think the biggest challenge for healthcare facing Hong Kong, uh, faced by Hong Kong today, it's really in three areas. One is manpower. I may explain a little bit more in a while. Second is the rapid development in medicine, and that requires facilities and, and also a lot of um, policy to drive this. And then thirdly is the challenges from the surrounding countries, where previously Hong Kong has been kind of like in the leading position, whether it be um, uh, uh, the medical schools that we have that are providing the teaching or the researchers that has been ongoing but um, the rapid uh, uh, development in other countries, nearby countries, let's say in, in, in mainland China, in Singapore, uh, makes us kind of like um, not, we're, the gap is not so big anymore. We really have to pick up our pace again if we want to be as good as we were all along. So I think these three are the three main areas that, that I think Hong Kong is facing. And in particular, if I may say a little bit more about healthcare manpower, this is absolutely one thing that is affecting many, many countries, absolutely not just Hong Kong. But in Hong Kong, um, the, the, the difficulty for us is that we have to resist importing um, doctors or nurses or many other kind of like healthcare professionals that are substandard because there is always this pressure that we want to import a lot more uh, professional staff to fill the gap. While we want to keep the standards, uh, because keeping the standards is not just the out clinical outcome, but also patient safety. So to how do we actually do that is going to be very exciting. Absolutely. And can I just ask about that? Because we're facing uh, similar challenges, as you may be aware, in the United Kingdom. What, what, what are the issues with manpower? Is it the recruitment or is it the retention of staff or both? I think it's both. And also, I would dare say, the nature of the work of healthcare is actually not very attractive to youngsters these days. They find it hard. I mean, uh, they don't like going on shifts. They don't like handling emotional situations. And they want reasonable, reasonably good pay. And yet healthcare, uh, despite the pay is not bad, it's not, definitely not the best. And more difficultly, especially for nursing staff, it's not a very kind of like um, glorious kind of job. You have to face patients who are crying and emotional situations. It's actually, very, it's actually a very difficult job and you have to have a very good heart to actually remain in the profession. So youngsters these days are, are not very keen in this, this sort of area. And, and the fact that they really want a balance of life, find it, it's making things even more difficult. Interesting. Yeah, because actually one of our other speakers at the conference, Bonnie, is going to be talking about sort of recovery and well-being. And she comes from a business uh, sort of perspective where she she works with businesses to help with well-being. And I think, yeah, medicine and nursing, it's always clearly been very challenging. Like you said, there's lots of emotional um, issues to deal with. Right. Um, you're dealing with life and death where an error or a mistake could have a you know catastrophic outcome. 
So I'm interested by um, the fact, you, you know, the youngsters are not finding it as appealing. Do you think maybe there'd be a culture shift? I know that particularly in Asia that you, you are very driven. You know, we talk about the super doctor where people are contactable day and night. Um, people, people are always there for their patients, but perhaps at the expense of their own health. Do you think there may be a shift with this sort of newer generation that perhaps well-being for healthcare professionals might be given a bit of a higher priority? I think um, in, a one, in one sense, I think I agree. There is this uh, uh, development, which I think may not be, have, be very healthy, to be honest, because these doctors or professional staff will burn out very, very quickly. Yeah. It, it's definitely not sustainable. And, and on another hand, as a medical administrator, I think we are also responsible for making sure that we are not trying to fill the gap with kind of like patch repair sort of way with this sort of services. And we need to think in a much longer term perspective on how to actually solve the problem. And obviously, how we're going to develop our HR uh, 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 rules and or maybe a, a recruitment uh, sort of ways will be very important. I mean, we've all heard about slash career these days. So uh, I have a physiotherapist who is a physiotherapist for six hours for each day and then four hours each day. She also goes on as a yoga teacher. So, I mean, it's, it's her interest and she finds that four hours, despite the pay is lower, is more enjoyable. So somehow how we as administrators allow that to happen is going to be very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. You know, I think people do need work-life balance. And I guess it's, it's not just down to that individual doctor or nurse, is it? You know, you in the leadership positions need to be mindful. Like you say, actually, people can't go full pelt for 20, 25 years without potentially becoming burnt out. That's right. So that's super interesting. You've mentioned things about also other issues along with manpower. You're talking about development and policy. And I think we're going to look a little bit about technology, aren't we, at the conference? That's right. And uh, I've been reading about it. Glen Eagles is really technologically advanced. Uh, and so can you tell us a little bit about how you've gone on that journey to make the most of technology to help with patient safety and patient care? Yeah, thank you, Katie. This is really an interesting story that we have here. In fact, two, three years ago, I mean, Hong Kong, if you have been here, is a very, very small place. Yeah. It's much smaller than London, and, and people can travel from one point to another for maybe within 45 minutes if they drive. And, uh, and therefore, doctors are usually, uh, especially, especially GPs, are usually only 10, 15 minutes away from where you live or where you work. So to develop telemedicine seems ex absolutely stupid because uh, it's, it's probably even easier to go down to, to your GPs, see them, and then pick up your medicine than uh, doing a teleconsultation and then wait for four hours before the drug actually arrives uh, in, your, in, your, in your office or at your home. Yeah. But then um, came COVID. Nobody wants to go to clinic and catch COVID. And therefore, uh, suddenly the demand for telemedicine uh, shot up very, very quickly. And uh, because our hospital has the belief that no matter there is the volume right now, we need to be ready. So it's a kind of like readiness that we have for telemedicine that made us uh, uh, um, able to confront the crisis of COVID uh, throughout the past two years with the support of telemedicine. And we have been refining our work processes, refining the user interface of our applications when we were reaching out to patients, refining how we actually monitor them 
throughout the the the, the, the consultation and throughout the the um, uh, subsequent post uh, consultation follow ups. So the whole process has changed so much that for us it's almost like I mean um, if if you know about cardiology, I was previously trained in cardiology, so it's almost like echocardiogram revolutionizing the use of stethoscope. I mean, these days, even if you hear a murmur with a stethoscope, you would definitely refer the patient to do an echocardiogram. So supposedly, telemedicine, from my point of view, is going to revolutionize uh, general kind of like uh, GP practices. Of course, people will still go to GP. They'll definitely need their physical checkups and and their physical examinations. But how the actual consultation is going to break down into tiny bits Instead of one physical consultation, maybe there is a five minutes teleconsult, five minutes physical consult, and then five minutes while you're at home, you do a lot of tele uh, monitoring of yourself during that day. So doctors are now equipped with many different tools that I may subsequently share in the actual conference on how they can do their job even better than spending maybe five, 10 minutes with the patient in their consultation room. Hmm, fascinating. So even I have had the pleasure of going to Hong Kong on a, on a trip with NPS and met lots of our members. And yeah, I was surprised a, at how small it was, but also how busy it was. So, I mean, I live in London, but um, Hong Kong is something else. So I'm interested, how, how, have the, um, how have the patients responded to this telemedicine? Because like you say, I could understand it if you're living in a huge country and you physically can't get to your doctor. But somewhere, like you said, like Hong Kong, where you are so physically close, how have the patients responded to the increasing use of telemedicine? I think, um, as I said, uh, COVID gave us the opportunity to prove to the community that telemedicine works. And therefore, we were actually quite worried when COVID is kind of like, way, I mean, uh, uh, reducing in numbers and, and more and less and less people got COVID. And people are ready to come out again and, be, and, and go on normal life again and therefore seeing the actual doctors physically. Yeah. But then for the past two months, we are seeing more influenza cases in Hong Kong. Oh, right. And we thought that's going to be a true test of whether people have adopted the use of telemedicine. And we do see that in the past two months, our numbers are starting to go up again. So what it means is that there are a number of people who have previously experienced the use of telemedicine are finding it useful and will continue to use it. Okay, so it seems that there's an appetite for the patients. Have you had any feedback from your doctors and other clinicians using it? Are there any drawbacks or particular challenges they've highlighted? Because obviously it's a new way of working for a lot of us, isn't it? Albeit brought on by COVID. Are there any particular challenges or um, learning learning points that the doctors have come back to you with? Absolutely. Um, the one thing is that... Um, Doctors are actually quite worried that they could not touch their patients. Yeah, it's, well, it's a, big, it's a big mind shift, isn't it? It is, it is. But um, the, the more they do it, the more the comfortable they are. Because, I mean, doctors, they always want to do their job well. No doubt, no doubt about that. So then they think along the line that, okay, if I really think from a very patient-centric point of way, I actually was able to reach the patients immediately because I have these teleconsultation tools. So instead of waiting for me for six hours or maybe even coming into the clinic the next day, I actually was able to talk to the patient within, let's say, half an hour and be able to soothe the patient, even kind of like prioritize if their patient needs to be attending an A&E immediately or coming to my clinic tomorrow. I can actually make an immediate decision. Afterwards, I can then plan a whole set of monitoring and checkups for the patients 
and of course, including coming to the clinic for a checkup, for physical examination if needed. And therefore, it's really a restructuring of the whole of the consultation processes that, would, uh, 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 that the doctors are learning and they themselves develop for themselves. There is no absolute way of doing the right, kind of like the right way yet at this moment. So it sounds like, so one of the, the main uses for the telemedicine is the ability for the clinician to triage the patients quicker, perhaps, that's and like right. you say, direct them to the most appropriate source of help, whether that's seeing them or going to an emergency department, um, which I think is appealing to all of us, right? I can see the logic behind that. Absolutely. And you're going to be talking to one of our consultants, Dr. Danny Lee, during the yep. conference. And again, we don't want to um, give away all the surprises, but one of the things, well, some of the things you're going to be talking about, as well as this remote consultation, is the use of things like medicine delivery services. Is that right? That's right. Can you give us a taste of what that involves? Yes. If I may say, summarize in one sentence, it says, uh, is that it's, it's actually very, very difficult. A lot of regulations and rules that we have to overcome, a lot of the safety issues that we have to overcome. I mean, um, when in the days when we have patients coming up to the clinic to pick up the drugs, um, what we have to make sure is that the prescription by the doctor is uh, uh, basically with uh, 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 legible writing, okay? Yes. That's a typical thing that previously <laughs> happens, right? Nowadays, uh, they have the computer input, so that's not a problem anymore. It seems safe, but then it may not be safe because now that the drugs are not being handed over to the patient by a nurse or by a dispenser or by a pharmacist, but rather by a delivery man, how do we make sure that the delivery man actually is handing the right set of drugs to the right patient and also be able to educate them on how to use the drugs? And all these have to be overcome one by one, and therefore, these are the things I'll be sharing. Great. So it sounds like, you know, technology and new ways of working, right? Innovation is really important. But like you say, you've got to make sure that the services we're providing are still effective and safe. That's and right. understand from the patient and the clinician perspective, you know, the, the, the pros and cons of each of them. Absolutely. Kenneth, that sounds absolutely fascinating. I cannot wait to join you on the conference. Um, where, again, like I say, Dr. Danny Lee will be talking to you about lots of these interesting areas and your own experience. So thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Thank you, Katie. If you'd like to hear more from Kenneth and from our other speakers, don't forget to register for the conference on the 25th of June using the link in the podcast description. I've been Dr. Katie Grant, and thank you for listening to Dr. Sang on the Medical Protection Podcast. Goodbye for now, and we look forward to seeing you at the conference in June.